Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Studios, get things sorted out, get things set up, but we are happy to be back and rolling with you on a Tuesday afternoon. Again, hope you are having a wonderful day. Let's take a look at what we got in the show today. Lots of stuff to get to in this show, especially having been out yesterday. Plenty of stuff to get to today. First of all, had an opportunity to speak with Montana State head football coach Jeff Choate earlier today. In fact, kind of a two-porter. He did a, a conference Zoom session with uh, a bunch of media members, uh, uh, and we will speak, was, we'll hear some sound from that, specifically on the NIL stuff, the name, image, and likeness uh, stuff from the uh, NCAA that is likely going to pass or has passed, I guess, uh, for uh, kids to uh, make monetary benefit, monetary gain off of their names, image, and likeness, and what he thinks about that and, and uh, where how he thinks that will affect specifically the Big Sky Conference schools and this level of football at the FCS level. In about a half an hour from now, how about Tim Walsh, who is the uh, former head coach of Cal Poly. He retired uh, and is now kind of on the other side of things, but we'll get his take on where we're at in in FCS football right now, what he thinks now kind of on the other side of it, looking back at his career and uh, football in general. Tim's always been a fun guy to talk to uh, uh, for us, so we'll look forward to having him on here in about a half an hour. We'll also, in the top of the hour, get into some Major League Baseball. I tell you what, I watched some, some KBL Korea Baseball League today. Uh, Carl Ravitch, Edward Perez doing uh, the uh, play-by-play and color on that. It was interesting, man. I really enjoyed it, and maybe it's because we've been, you know, kind of so starved for some live sports, but it was great to watch baseball being played. Empty stadium, but you know what they did? This was so – I just thought this was so perfect. They cut out, like, fans, like cardboard fans, and put them behind home plate. So at least the shot like from behind the pitcher, you know, the number one shot where you're watching the pitch and the batter, there's like, you know, fake people sitting in there, uh, you know, doing the thing. So I thought that was great. But also uh, the negotiations have begun today between Major League Baseball, uh, the commissioner's office, and the Players Association about the resumption, or I guess I should say the start of this 2020 season. And they are 
uh, worlds apart in a lot of ways, well, specifically on the financial end of things, even though there's a whole bunch of other parts of this negotiation and conversation that they're going to try and have about getting baseball on the tail. But I think a lot of people maybe are not totally clued into everything that is going on with that. Jeff Passan wrote a fantastic article. I thought it was very, very helpful in terms of its explication of what is at stake and why it's at stake for both sides in terms of the owners and the players in Major League Baseball and and sort of what has already been negotiated and what is still forthcoming. So uh, I tweeted that out at Gus Tutel. If you want to take a look at that, uh, it will help you at 5 o'clock when we get to it. We will also get into the Big Sky Conference from a football standpoint and basically the the uh, the mandate or the offering from uh, – uh, the the conference from the Big Sky Conference level uh, and Tom Wistersill that all institutions, all member institutions, are going to be autonomous in terms of decision making, how and if they will, you know, do everything basically. But it's certainly from a sports standpoint in the fall and what that might mean for schools that are so going to be you know so so far from each other geographically and whatever uh, you know their circumstances are, uh, which are you know pretty obviously different. I mean, what what it is right now to be. Uh, you know, living in New York City or Los Angeles or even a place like Sacramento and what it is to be, you know, in the inner mountain west are very, very different. So we will get uh, into all that stuff. So there you go. If you want to give us a call today, you can 361-3688. The phone number, all guests join us via the Rankish Brothers RV phone line. And if you'd like to listen live, you can do that on the website, 1029ESPN.com. You listen live on the stream all the time. The stream is available thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity Coulter man I missed you yesterday how are you over how there how you doing you doing okay oh dude I'm great feeling great, great. you Good. know Good. I'm I'm seated which means I'm happy you know that's all <laughs> as long as long as I'm parked uh everything is all right uh Coulter we got a chance to speak with Jeff Choate today uh and and talk to him about a number of things I'll, I'll just tell you now tomorrow our ESPN roundtable is with Jeff Choate so we had a, a, a really pretty long conversation actually with the head football coach of the Bobcats fleshed out I thought a lot of stuff which was really interesting and fun and and uh, we certainly appreciate his time on that but he also before uh, you know his interview with us did sort of a general media you know Q&A session I thought there was some good stuff in there but one of the things that he seized on and I know this is something that he's thought a lot about you know he's a very considerate sort of reflective guy and I think he's got a good perspective on a lot of things surrounding football you know not just about football itself but about sort of the state of affairs of the sport and everything uh uh, in general and so I wanted to play this for you it's a couple of minutes long but it's it's coach Choate talking about name image and likeness and he was talked about some of the changes that were going to happen you know in football including the potential or the expected uh, uh, move for or you know getting rid of the uh, the, the transfer uh, rule though they're going to offer basically a one-time transfer waiver where you don't have to sit out a year so he started on that but really got into the name image and likeness stuff uh, which is passed and I thought his thoughts on it were pretty interesting I had a lot of areas where I thought he was spot on and a couple areas where I wasn't so sure so I want to hear this and then talk about it with you so here you go Jeff Choate from earlier today on well a whole bunch of stuff including the name image and likeness uh, a release from the NCAA yeah I think it kind of comes down it's a lot like the portal I think that you know the amateur model as we know it is basically going to cease to exist and that's, I don't think that's a positive, but I do think that we're going to have to adjust. Um, I was having a conversation with a, a coaching colleague of mine, you know, the other day, it might have been yesterday, and we were discussing kind of how this was going to change. You know, you got the name, image, and likeness, which is coming down the pike, where kids can have agents, they can, you know, engage with third parties for 
whether they want to sell a rap video or a t-shirt or uh, have their name on a billboard or do a commercial for a local car dealership. You know, we've got to wrap our head around that. That's going to start a year from now. And then the one-time transfer is going to kind of compound that. So you're going to see a situation, maybe not necessarily at Montana State or in the Big Sky Conference, but certainly at the Power 5 level, where there's going to be bidding wars. I mean, a kid may go to a, to go to School X to get a $25,000 endorsement deal out of high school and then decide that he's not playing, so his value in terms of the name, image, and likeness has gone down, so he's going to transfer to School Y and re-engage with, uh, with third party or have his agent re-engage with a third party to be able to do that. And that really takes a lot of the control of the program away. Uh, the other thing that it does in a sport like football that is very much a team sport you know, you may have a star quarterback or a star receiver or a star defensive end getting a bunch of name, image, and likeness money, but the guys up front still have to block. The left guard might not be getting the same love. And I think that's one of the really awesome and unique things about a sport like football is that it, it requires everybody to be successful. Everybody's got everybody's got to do their one eleventh for the team to move the ball down the field or stop the opponent. And no one individual has any more value than any other. And I think this kind of creates a platform where that separation is um, becomes really clear to players, and that's unfortunate. I, I just think that it's going to be it's going to be a really really tough couple of years for the NCAA to kind of get their head around what this looks like, what it should look like. Uh, again, at our level, I think places like Montana and Montana State probably are going to have to deal with the name, image, and likeness more than most FCS schools because we don't have Power Five football in our state. And so I do think that that's going to be something that will impact us. The transfer rule, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it becomes free agency to a certain degree. I do think that there will be a period of time where it's wild, wild west when they open this thing up. Where you've got, not unlike what happened with the transfer portal, where uh, initially there was a lot of kids that went into the portal and they realized that, well, if I can't play at school X, what makes me think I can play at school Y? And, uh, and then that's kind of normalized a little bit. Um, but I don't think it's going to be good. I think that uh, I don't think any kid should be able to if they sign an LI, they should not be able to transfer. They have to serve one year in residence at a minimum at the institution that they signed with initially. I do think that's one of the things that they should do. You can't transfer within your freshman year is what I'm saying. At the end of your freshman year, if you want to transfer, that's your one time. And the reason I say that is because I think kids need to if they truly want to transfer, they're going to want to use that transfer maybe as they go through their career a little bit where they've been developed and they see the writing on the wall and they go, you know what, I maybe can't play, I'm behind an All-American here and I really want to play. And so uh, as a junior, maybe I want to transfer without having to give up my, without having to sit a year and I could still have two years to play somewhere and have a really good career or uh, be able to have an impact in a program, kind of like what we saw with like a Bryce Sturk. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I just think there's, I mean, it's a great question, Paul, and I don't think any of us have a, a firm answer. My personal opinion is, that they've got to, they've got to get their hand. They, we've got some time to, to kind of work through this, and I think it's going to be pretty messy at first, and eventually we'll find our sweet spot. But I do not think that the good old days of amateur athletics will exist anymore. And we've already got half that student athletes in men's basketball that transfer every year. Do we want that in football too? Um, I don't know. So there you go, Jeff Choate talking about a bunch of things, but specifically the name, image, and likeness and some of the fallout that he sees from that. You know, I understand what what he says about, you know, 
some of the stuff we talk about, a lack of or, or a loss of some control over your program, in fact, a lot potentially of control over your program, when you combine the NIL, the financial side of this, which is, is I don't know that it's doing away per se with the amateurism of, of a student athlete, a collegiate student athlete, but it, it is to some extent in any case. It's, it's not as if they're being paid for doing what they're doing directly for playing the sport, but they are being paid as a result, generally speaking, of, of playing the sport. And it stratifies everything right, that's so right. much more, it too. Right? I mean, it's you're, you're making a hierarchy that's defined. And as at, as at Choate said, he said, now we have defined separation. That's right. And that's not good for kids. I mean, at the end of the day, I've been yelling and arguing about this forever. Right now, the rivalry between Alabama and Clemson is a great thing because it's not old. But if we watched Alabama play Clemson for 10 out of the next 12 national championships, it would lose so much of its appeal. And so if it's all just about the two best coaches with the two most with the two highest budgets being able to stack the best rosters, mm-hmm. then where do we any of the things that we love about sports, the underdogs, and in this case, th- consider this, schools like Oregon and Washington are severe underdogs right now in college football, I, and I think that this is adding even more stratification to that. So I'll come back to that point, but here's the thing. As long as there's a four-team playoff, there is no such thing as an underdog winning the national championship. No, it doesn't exist. It's true. It's true. So, I mean, we just watched LSU beat Oklahoma by 70 in a national semifinal. Okay, so the haves and haves, you know, okay. But within, within the context of this at the Big Sky Conference level, or, or even even at the national level, it's not just the NIL. It's the NIL combined with the one-time waiver where now kids are making financial decisions about where they're going to play football rather than football decisions. But by the way, we never judged kids. In fact, we only expected kids to make football decisions about where they were going to play football. Never, hello, academic ones. Right. Sometimes it would happen where a guy might go to Stanford or to Harvard because he could go to one of those schools. But nobody's going to like Michigan State because they have a great engineering program as opposed to going to maybe Ohio State because they thought East Lansing had better academics for them. Right, it's only the football that is considered for football players. I mean, when we're ninety-nine percent, huh? When we're analyzing it, you're talking. Are you talking just the way the kids operate? I. I because I do, th- I do think there's. I a mean, there's so- there's a handful of kids that are going I for the agree whole with what you, thing. I agree with what you just but said. But most of them are not. I agree right? with what you just said, with the exception of one thing, and that is engineering. Because engineering is a relatively easy entry point major that has kids are way smarter these days when it comes to knowing what the degree you're going to get means, but also putting a high priority on that as well. Would you really have gotten a master's in philosophy if you knew you couldn't hardly even ever use it? Would I, I, would I have gotten a master's in journalism if I knew that I was going to make $20,000 for the rest of my life? Well, of course. I knew that I was never going to yeah, use you and I my are degree bad. before you and I, are, I ever You enrolled. and I are very bad examples, though. I'm, all I'm saying is that the one thing that is different, though, is there is some kids that do choose uh, you know, a Michigan State or a Texas A&M or even a Montana State or an Oregon State because of the engineering. I do agree with what you're saying, though, by and large. Because most of the time, the academics are far down now, the list let, in recruiting. Let me be clear. This is one of the things I, I, I actually kind of like about the FCS. I think it happens a lot in the FCS sure. that kids are making school choices, holistic choices, in addition to the sporting choice uh, You know, at a much higher frequency because they, I think, generally expect that if you're playing football or whatever sport at this level, 
that, that, that it is for the sake of playing the sport at a very high, very competitive level, but not necessarily because that's going to be your for profession. And they understand that there's a lot more going into this. And, and there's a bunch of kids that go to play Division One athletics in, in conferences like the Big Sky Conference that aren't intending to go and do that at another level. Now, there's plenty of them that are. Don't get me wrong. But all I'm saying is if, if, you, have if you have a choice, these kids who are offered, hey, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, like show me the time when the tipping point is, oh, I wanted to get into pre-med at Michigan, so that's why I went there. It, it, I'm not saying it's never happened, but I'm saying it almost never happens. Sure. So now if kids are making a decision, well, guess what? Michigan, I know I can hawk, you know, Nissans for the local outfit in, in, in you know, Ann Arbor. Right for a hundred thousand dollars is this catastrophic to what is already going on because to me it's a facade it's been a facade for a long time about oh the the student portion of student athlete at the high-end division one level particularly so now i mean if if now money is like an obvious and out in out front consideration that these kids are making about where they're going to go and why I, I don't have a problem with that, and I don't think it actually changes all that much the 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 reality of what is going on in many of these places. Here's here's some of the things that it will change, though. So many people hated the BCS; they hated the bowl system as it was before the college football playoff. I think it gets demonized way more than it maybe deserves because I do think that some of the ways that college football used to operate, although the end result being a national champion determined by a human vote is certainly flawed. I also think that to me, there's a lot of times where there was multiple national champions because teams didn't play each other, yeah, right? Two, two, that yeah. seems stupid, except for that. If teams never played each other, like right now, we don't know what the national champion would do against the team that finished fifth. A couple of years ago, Penn State was so good. That's right. They were a one-loss team. Right. We don't know if Clemson would have beat them. We assume they would have, but we don't know. Absolutely. And so, therefore, to me, having two 12-0 teams that share a national championship, as stupid as that might seem, is actually better than not knowing the result of if the best teams played. That's one thing, though. I think that we're going to get – I guess what I'm getting at, though, is some of the best stories in college football over the last 20 years have been – the rise of Boise State under Dan Hawkins and then Chris Peterson. And Boise State being that former Big Sky Conference team that snuck into the Orange Bowl and beat Oklahoma. TCU getting into the BCS, you know, playing in the Fiesta Bowl. Obviously, TCU's parlayed that and got in completely rolling. But at the moment, like LaDainian Thompson threw Andy Dalton. TCU was not part of that upper, upper tier yet, and they, they've used this to parlay into that. But the more we have this, the more that those sorts of stories are going to be less and less and less because you won't be able to get that guy. There's a lot of guys that maybe won't go to the program. It's going to take a lot of way. Here's a great example for you. As a guy who's a Midwestern guy, as a guy who's a Wisconsin fan. Sure. There, that's the primary example. I think that there's still certain schools in the Power Five particularly Michigan, Michigan State, and Wisconsin, that get a lot of guys that are from either the state or the region. Iowa is another great example where you're getting dudes who are really good, who are good enough to play in the SEC or the ACC. Obviously, they're good enough to play in the Big Ten, too. But what I'm saying is that kid, like Aaron Epinesta, the kid who just got drafted out of Iowa, he's an in-state kid. 
if that guy has a $500,000 endorsement deal on the table, would he choose to stay home to play for his home state team like he did if he could go to Clemson and make half a million dollars? That's where it's going to rob it because I think it could rob it's, – it's not going to – like you're saying, as long as we only have four teams in the playoffs, the rich are just going to be the rich. They're going to be the ones that's in it. There's only 12 teams that could even buy themselves a seat at the table at this that's point, right? right? Yeah. But it's going to rob from the teams that are already – I mean – Iowa, Wisconsin don't have a seat at that table right now, but they're pretty darn close. And if they get a couple transcendent players, yeah. if you get the kid who grew up in Milwaukee to stay home and play at Wisconsin, okay. But now if USC can just buy that kid or a booster at USC or a booster at Oklahoma State can buy that kid, that's where it gets all haphazard and haywire. I, I agree with you on some of this, but can but let's flip the tables, okay? One thing that Coach Choate said today, which – we, we don't have the sound bite of, but we, we may be able to collect that and, and play it for you at another time. But he's, he's talked today. He's like, look, man, I don't know how big a percentage is it, it is, but it's a significant percentage, you know, 20, 30 percent of, of the guys. I'm not worried about whether or not they're getting their work done from a football standpoint. I'm worried whether or not they have a place to live. Sure. I'm whether I'm their parents have been laid off because they're in Southern California yep. and now, you know, we needed to figure out a way to get that back to Bozeman just so I knew that they had a bed to sleep in right. and food to eat. Like, this is this has been my concern for a, a good portion of players. And guess what? First of all, great for Jeff Choate for having that perspective and understanding the significance of the human being over and against just the football player. Okay? But also, I think there's a ton of schools where that's the case. Now, let me ask you this. Maybe a guy, you know, who is grown up in a, you know, in an affluent, you know, family, whatever it is, Christian McCaffrey, right, is the sure. son of a former sure. NFL player. Well, he could go where he wants to and and make that choice. But now, so, you know, a kid who's growing up in rural Mississippi who struggled to make it or whatever, now he's got a $100,000 offer or whatever it is from a car dealership if he goes and plays at XYZ school. Sure. Good for him. Like, okay, so maybe now Mississippi State doesn't get that kid where they would have, but for the kid, what a – what a life-changing moment that would be for the better. And so there's right. there are going to be some really high-level, I think, good things coming out of this too. Yeah, but it's going to rob us from some of the great stories. And so often the guys that – Will it? From, from an individual perspective, it absolutely will because some of the greatest stories in college football are guys that dreamt about playing at the institution that they choose to play in. We see this at Montana, Montana State, more than almost anywhere else in the country. It's why I've chosen to stay home because I think that dynamic is so cool. But also, it doesn't necessarily have to be where you're from, just the team you grew up rooting for or whatever. But, I mean, the late Aaron Barnett, who was a kid who played safety at Montana State, he passed away a couple of years ago tragically, but he was – a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He had offers from every school in the country. He dreamed about going and playing for Texas. His dad had played for Texas. His dad was a high school football coach in in Texas. Aaron played at U.S. Trinity with Denarius McGee. They were like brothers. Aaron goes to Texas as as the number one safety recruit in the entire state of Texas, one of the top safety recruits in the country. He's at Texas. He's playing right away, and then he breaks his ankle. Well, the next... By the time he's recovered, he's got four four-star guys standing in front of him. Then he breaks it again. Now he's buried. He's never going to play. He's never, ever going to play. But all I'm saying is that's how quickly you can fall out of favor, and there's only a certain amount of guys that can play at the top schools. But if you just stack the roster 1 through 99 
and everybody's just going and following the money, which I don't think would truly happen. I don't think it'll be a hundred percent deal, but it will just it will undoubtedly become more prevalent. And the more you do that, the more you have guys get stuck completely just in the middle, right? And they don't have somewhere to go. But then maybe that guy, if say this guy who who had the promise of going to Clemson to be a star defensive end, and all of a sudden now he's gotten out recruited and he's gotten hurt and he's buried on the depth chart and he has nowhere to go. What if that guy, instead of taking the money from the endorsements that he was that was used in recruiting, would have stayed somewhere else? He could have then ascended even higher. And I think that's where it's going to rob us because as we always talk about. How good you are at football when you're 18 and how good you are when you're 23 are completely different. We wouldn't have guys that were walk-ons from Haver, Montana getting drafted in the NFL if that wasn't the case. But you, do, I just worry so much if the fluidity of transfers is that you can go wherever you want, whenever you want. That's one thing. But on the other hand, I just worry that if everybody just stacks their roster 1 through 99 and the guy who's number 98 at Alabama never gets the opportunity. What if he would have made a different decision coming out of high school? What if he's from Mississippi, he would have stayed home to play for Ole Miss? But I, 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 my point here is that why why can't he still make that choice, especially with the one-time waiver rule? Like, he can sure, go. Sure, sure, sure. But all I'm getting at, though, is that you just never know when guys are going to become disgruntled and the, the, then their development's going to become impeded. Well, when they quit I mean, and they stop grinding, they're doing it for different reasons. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. All of a sudden, then you has you're 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 enabling a culture where you're doing it for yourself first and foremost. And a lot of times, like you're saying, if you come from a disadvantaged background, go ahead, do it for yourself. That's please. If you can change your family's life, absolutely by all means do it. But I just wonder if we'll impede so much of what football is all about is being the guy who has a chip on your shoulder and persevering through it. And I think that both of these, not necessarily together, I think that they're exclusive to each other, but I do think that the free transfer rule and being able to monetize your own image, is it's just going to skew and muddy the culture in a negative way across the board. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't, I don't, I don't think e- I don't think each individual is going to suffer. I just think it's going to create an even more uh, broken culture than what already exists. I, I don't think so. I, I I just don't I don't agree with that. I think first of all, show me the the group of players that are brought up in the culture that we're in right now and the way that they're going after it, whether or not they're actually receiving money or not, whether they go places, they already at the point that they go to college are either playing with a it's me and it's about me and I'm the best and I'm going to show it, you know, whatever. Or or they go to a place where they're sort of in the middle and they get swayed one way or another. Or maybe they're just, you know, really hardworking, persevering type of guys, which every coach is still looking for and have talked extensively about how that's so hard to find. Is it all of a sudden going to be so much more hard to find? I don't know. I do think, you know, as Coach Cho talked about, I thought one great point he made in there is when you're trying to create a team that is a cohesive team, Everybody knows who the starting quarterback, starting running back is. But at this, you know, inside the locker room, you can all just be, hey, we're just Montana State Bobcats. We're just Montana Grizzlies. Right. If all of a sudden this guy's got this car because he's made a bunch of money off of, off of whatever, then it becomes obvious who the haves and have nots exactly. are, who are the stars and the st- stars are or aren't. And you know what that is? One more thing 
that coaches who already have to overcome a million of these things have to overcome. Like, they have to create a culture in which it doesn't matter what car the kid's driving. Maybe they can use that as an incentive for other kids or to maybe break down the kid who got the car a little bit and bring them back to whatever it is. But but these are, you know, the master... Manipulation sounds like a bad word, but they're, they're these are... These are the guys who are trying to coalesce 100 kids from utterly disparate backgrounds in the same location, same area to do to accomplish a task. And the guys who are great at that, the coaches that are great at that, are going to be great at that still, and maybe even the better so. The other thing, too, is the stratification of the haves and have-nots. All of, I, I think there's a very good chance that this could widen the number of teams that are involved. What if Warren Buffett's a big football fan? Guess what? Lincoln, Nebraska, the University of Nebraska just got potentially a much better scenario in terms of landing kids and returning to dominance or whatever it's it might be. Point. Because point. there's there's some there's some money floating around at a lot of places. Des Moines, Iowa has some cash running I mean, through it. Phil Knight's a Portland State alone. Okay. People forget. Right. right? Right, people forget because so, he loves Oregon and he went to Oregon too. But he has Portland State ties as well. And by the way, I am. I certainly have the worry that I think a lot of people have about it being a free for all or something sure. like that, and and I get that, and I think we have a lot of learning to do as this stuff happens to see how kids react, players react, and what it looks like. I just think there's there's more upside than people think, even though there is without question downside. What Choate said there, though, I thought the the line that resonated the most with me, he said, "Look at what's happened to college basketball. Do we want that to happen right. in college football?" and there's no Duke scrapped it. Duke scrapped what Mike Shashetsky has been about for 40 years. Mm-hmm. The concept of team, we before me. They scrapped it. They're one and done. They're one and done. NBA. I mean, I don't think they scrapped the we before me. I think that they scrapped but, but the idea Mike, of Mike Shashetsky is not coming here and saying Mike Shashetsky is not coming here and saying represent for the Blue Devils that came before you. Be a part of history. Be a part of tradition. No, he's saying, come play for me and you'll be the number three pick in the NBA draft. Uh, no, no, he's saying both of them. He's saying, go to where Grant Hill went is, and be the all number I'm three saying pick is in we're, the draft. We're teaching young people the wrong things if we're teaching them to think about themselves first. The whole point of team sports is to learn how to fail together. But here's what, here's what I'm saying, is you're talking about the entry point. You want to sell a kid on being the number three overall pick in the NBA draft, so come to Duke, go ahead. Sure. But once you've signed the NIL, or the NLI, the National Letter of Intent, and you go there, it's all about team. I mean, that's the biggest headache that Calipari has, is trying to get all the egos set aside and buy in for one season. And generally, his teams have started off pretty poor and gotten really good towards the end, certainly because they have the talent, but also because that's his job. But take away the individual part of this and just think about the team part of this. If you have a free transfer rule and you have boosters basically helping buy kids whether they've committed for the first time or another a second time a transfer now you're it's going to be almost impossible to cultivate that special chemistry that you want choke talks all the time about how the reason he loves fcs football is because there is no such thing as a star at Montana or Montana State that will ever be bigger than the program. As big of a star as Dave Dickinson was for the Grizzlies, he's still not bigger than Montana. It's not possible to be bigger than Montana to the people who care about it. Mm -hmm. It is possible to be bigger than Alabama and Clemson at this point. Trevor Lawrence is doing it. He's bigger than Clemson at this exact moment in terms of his prowess as a prospect. He seems like he can handle it because he's a special kid. 
the more you get into that, though, I just think the worse it is for team sports. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's already there in basketball. It know? is, and look at how big of a disaster college basketball is. Well, I, I don't I think, think it's a disaster at all. What do you mean? Like, it's a blast. No, this year, yes. this year in college basketball was the <laughs> most goofy, weird year that we've ever well, seen. Of course. But, I mean, we were going to do this segment before everything got canceled, but there's a definitive reason why there was 20 teams for the first time in the history of the NCAA tournament that could have won the NCAA tournament. And I feel like almost none of those reasons are feel-good, heartwarming stories about guys that made it through the storm together or wonderful coaching jobs. It's just straight up about the disaster that is the the – uh, the distribution of talent across the country. We will talk about this more later. We finally found a point that we genuinely disagree on. Now, this ain't the first one. It's Tito Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. But next, Tim Walsh. Tim Walsh, how about this? Man, he was the head coach most recently at Cal Poly, but been in college football for many years and is now retired, going to come on here, talk to us about not just his career, but his perspective on the game and some of the stuff that we've just been talking about as well, where we're headed right after this. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. At the motel under street lights in the city palms. Call me what you want when you want if you want. And you can call me names if you call me up. Three nights at the motel under street lights in the city palms. Perspective is important, boys and girls, and it's fun to be able to talk to somebody who has that. Tim Walsh, head coach in the Big Sky Conference since 2012 and longtime head coach well before that, joins us now on the Rangage Brothers RV phone line. Happy to go to the phones and welcome in the former Cal Poly head coach, uh, as well as being at Army and Sonoma and a bunch of places before that. Coach Walsh, thanks so much for being on with us. Congratulations on your retirement. I think you nailed your timing on this one. I mean, my goodness, coming out of last year and everything that's transpired to this point, are you sitting back going, well, you know, probably could have picked a worse time to to, to, to stop the coaching deal. Coach, do we have you there? Let's keep. There we go. There we go. Oh, man, I had such a great yeah. intro. I had, a, I had such a great. Did you hear the question? <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'll set it back up for you. I couldn't hear anything. It was just all mumbled. Well, that you know that that might have been me, actually, Coach. You never know the, the mumbling <laughs> and so on. So I get yeah. it. But I was just saying, you retire this past year, and it feels like you probably picked a pretty good time after everything that's happened here. You got out on a on a, at a good spot, given the way everything's gone. It seems like, right? Well, the funny thing happened on my way to retirement, so I'm <laughs> really not retired. Yeah. So I. Uh, I left and uh, had a great opportunity to move to Coto de Casa, California, which is in Orange County, a great place, gated community, and uh, was going to help out with the freshman JV program at the Catholic High School. They play in modern days league and yeah. big league and all that stuff, and just coach and help out. And on the way to that, I got down here in late January, and the head varsity coach left 
And uh, so they asked me if I'd be interested. Then I talked to him for a while. And, you know, it's a great situation. I mean, uh, you know, there's eight full-time coaches and the head coach who don't teach. I mean, it's football all, you know, 100% of the time. And facilities are probably nicer than what we had at Cal Poly. And so I mean, there was a lot of things to say yes to. So I said yes. I'm not, you know, 100% sold that this is what I want to do long-term. But definitely for the short-term, short-term being in football is a good thing. Coach A. Coulter Nuanas, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you taking yeah. the time. And uh, so, as a guy that was in the Big Sky from basically 1992 through 2009, between your time at Portland State and Cal Poly, just a couple uh, seasons away at Army, uh, but the the league itself has evolved and changed so much. I mean, just take us through the evolution when you talk about what it was in the early 90s with all the schools that used to be in the Big Sky to then now what it's become, um, especially you know with the addition of a school like Portland State and then subsequently the addition of a school like Cal Poly. I mean, you're the only guy there's ever been that has led two different teams as new Big Sky Conference members. So what, just take us through the evolution of the league during your long career in the Big Sky. Well, I don't think there's any question. It's always been a great conference. I just think that I do think that it's gotten better, and I think it's it's gotten uh, maybe a little bit more level in the playing field. I think there's a lot more teams that can be competitive year in and year out than maybe they were uh, back. You know, when we when we first when we first got in the league, and there was eight or nine teams at at Portland State. But that particular point in time, it was really all about Montana. And the years prior before that were probably Montana and Boise State, and and then Idaho, and then uh, Idaho and Boise State end up leaving. And uh, Montana's uh, been the kingpin really since with a couple other schools that have been able to rise up to the occasion, no question about that. But I just think from top to bottom, you can't find a, a better football conference and a more fun football conference than you have in the Big Sky. I mean, I just think the uh, the level of competency that the coaches, as far as the coaches go, uh, to the level of play that the players and the type of athletes that uh, we're all playing with or we were all playing with, I, th- I just think you just can't match it top to bottom. And the style, like you mentioned, has been so interesting because the Big Sky was actually one of the first leagues where spread concepts and throwing the ball all over the place was yep. in vogue. I mean, you talk about the early Portland State days before you took over. I know they weren't in the Big Sky at that time, but, you know, Mouse Davis and those guys. And then, you know, you look at around the rest of the league, Montana with Dave Dickinson and Idaho with, you know, John Fries and Doug Nussmeyer and some of the quarterbacks that have played in this league are some of the all-time greatest players in Division One AA FCS football. But it's kind of gone back the other way now, especially with Jay Hill at Weber State, Jeff Choate at Montana State. The playoff teams the last couple of years out of the Big Sky have been the ones that can really run the ball and play defense. It's not necessarily the, the Dave Dickinsons that are leading you to the Final Four anymore. So uh, from that aspect, it's kind of been an ebb and flow. It's been almost the opposite of what oh, big-time college football has become. Yeah, you know, I think there is a lot, of, you know, you know, from a fan base and from knowing this is no criticism of fans, but I think fans sometimes get the, per, you know, perception sometimes is not reality. And I think, you know, that University of Oregon, uh, when Chip Kelly first went there and was the offensive coordinator and everybody was saying, oh, that's the, the style of the future. And, you know, Chip Kelly likes to run the football. As much as he did throw it, I mean, his basis was running the football. He actually had a lot of option principles. And then I think that uh, if you look at that, I think people have been able to take that and refine it. I think that Jay Hill, no offense, I hope he takes this the right way because I actually think he's just a phenomenal football coach. I mean, they're really a pro-style offense that plays great defense, and they want to be able to run the football and control the football and do that. And then, you know, you still have the people out there that do want to, get it slung around a little bit and, and make sure that the game stays at, you know, up pace and, and all those things. But uh, if you really look at the, the powers to be, I really think that, you know, like you hit on it on the head, Montana state, I mean, 
I think they ran the ball more than we did at Cal Poly last year. Uh, you know, and I think that everybody is using the quarterback as a runner. You know, you look at Sacramento State, and yeah, they were potent on offense, but the thing that scared you is when they went no backs and they still had that guy back there, Kevin Thompson, to run the football. I mean, that wasn't happening 15, 20 years ago. Uh, you know, the quarterback was untouchable, let's put it that way. And you were going to protect him or get the ball out of his hands quickly. Well, now that, you know, you're going to protect him and get the ball out of his hands quickly, but you're also going to use him as a runner. And I think both Sacramento State and Montana State did uh, did tremendous jobs of using the skills, the skill sets that they with that they had, and made those those guys have uh, successful careers and gave them the opportunity to win a lot of football games and get to the playoffs. Dude, but well, it's still exciting football, and I still think there are teams that that sling it around. But the, the bottom line thing is, I still think in football at every level you got to be able to play defense. Tim Walsh joining us, former head coach at Cal Poly as well as Portland State uh, as well, a longtime head coach in, uh, in in college football. And, Coach, I'm wondering, with, with the transition, Bo Baldwin now comes into Cal Poly, and obviously he's, he's somebody you know well. You're coaching against him at Eastern. But did you do you have a chance to talk to him? I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. He's been a head coach, and, and it's his program now. But does he give you a call and, and, and kind of check in and kind of get a lay of the land to some extent? Or is it like, okay, it's his show now, and he just kind of is off and running? Well, I mean, I know Bo pretty well and have a lot of respect for him. But I do think that, you know, he has his style and – you know, I think that, you know, Cal Poly, I mean, I, you know, I hate to say this, but as poor as our record looked last year, we were close to being seven and four. I mean, we would have, could have, should have won three games where field goals missed. I mean, you know, we should have beat, probably should have in regulation had a chance to beat Montana State, Eastern Washington. We missed a field goal at the end of the game. I mean, we realistically probably could have been seven and four in a playoff team. Uh, so there's a good nucleus for him to coming back. The problem he's going to have is he didn't have spring football. And I think that that's an issue when you're going to change the offense as drastically as you're going to change it. Right. Uh, I, I think that all the quarterbacks are excited to have that opportunity, you know, but it, it's not, everybody thinks it's just the quarterback, but the linemen play it differently when they played and what we played and how we played and, and uh, the techniques are different there. Uh, the wide receivers are going to have to learn a whole different deal as far as route running and what they're supposed to do and, and probably a lot more complexity to the pass game. Uh, but I do think that uh, he has a pretty good idea of what he wants to do, uh, and they—they're going to—they've you know, I think they're finally going to be fully funded this year, uh, scholarship-wise. Uh, coaches got paid. I'll be able to keep some coaches. I think because I think their salaries have gotten better. Uh, there's a lot of good things that have happened there, and obviously he knows how to win. The, 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 his deal is going to be—I mean, we're not—you know—academically, uh, he's getting a break this year because I guess they're not going to use the SAT score. And that he better take advantage of that <laughs> because uh, you know we've had four we've had we've had 4.0 students before it didn't have tremendous SAT scores that we struggled to get into school. Well, now if you have a 4.0, that's going to be the criteria. So, uh, you know, I think he's in a year where he can really do some damage in the uh, as far as the recruiting in California and get some guys in that maybe we weren't able to get in in the past. Uh, until they re-implement uh, the test, the SAT and the ACT. So those are all benefits that he has, but I do think he's got a lot of challenges and he understands the challenges. Uh, I talked to Bo extensively since he, even when he was at Eastern, you know, he desperately wanted to be an FBS head coach. And a lot of times people think the best way to do that is go be an assistant at a big school, which he did and they were highly successful, but you know, his opportunities just didn't come. So he had to. He had to take the next best thing, and I think it just adds another great coach back to the mix in the Big Sky. When you talk about Jay Hill, Jeff Choke, Bobby Houck, all those guys. I mean, Aaron Best. I mean, Troy Taylor. 
those guys are great football coaches, and now you bring Bo back into the mix, it's even going to be more competitive. The quarterback position is going to be a fascinating analysis because at, you know you guys when you had at Cal Poly when you had a great quarterback who could also keep defenses honest by being able to throw a little bit whether it was Andre Brodus or Chris Brown or Dan O'Graves, that's when it seemed like you guys operated the best on a triple option. But now you have a, yeah. some guys that came to play in that offense. They're going to get a newfound opportunity. I thought Jalen Ham- Hamler was a really talented kid. And a guy that I thought was interesting, too, because he had so many parallels with Chris Murray, the kid who played at Montana State, because they both are from Lawndale High right. School in Southern California. And uh, just having back-to-back great athletes like that for a school like Lawndale, what a thing. But uh, Hamler, I mean, how do you think he'll be able to adjust to that? And uh, what does the quarterback position overall look like with what Bo inherited there at Cal Poly? Right. Well, I think, you know, Jalen Hamler, don't underestimate maybe some of his other abilities. I mean, he didn't probably get to showcase everything, but he's a really smart football player. So from the XO standpoint, I think that Bo's going to be excited about how far along he is. I think that uh, our coaches did a good – Dano did a good job coaching him, and I think he has a good foundation of secondary play and front play and what Bo's going to want to do and certain things protection-wise in in the run game. But um, uh, So I, I wouldn't underestimate his ability to become a good quarterback in Bo's system. Now the question is going to be is, you know, how patient does Bo want to – be and letting him develop considering that he's going to be a, in his third year he's going to be a sophomore when you know maybe Bo wants to bring somebody in that is his guy uh, I really think that uh, you have the quarterbacks there uh, I don't have any question that Jalen's the best guy there uh, but there's some other guys that probably think this is a newfound opportunity for him uh, to come in and, and show what they can do in an offense that's going to be a little bit different. But I do think that uh, Bo, Bo will be pretty happy with him. I, I don't know the guys that he brought in. I think he brought in two guys on top of the guys that were there. Uh, but I, I think for him, that position has always been, you know, that's his baby, man. And, and I know he knows that uh, between the offensive line and the quarterback, that's where they got to be good. And if they're good in those two places, he'll have a chance to compete right away. Tim Walsh joining us, former Cal Poly head coach. And, Coach, we're here in the, in the state of Montana, and so I, I'm wanting to know it, when you would get ready, particularly for a road game against one of the Montana schools in Missoula and Bozeman, was there a difference in, in sort of your approach, knowing that the environment's probably going to be different than a lot of places that you would end up playing, and also maybe the weather's going to be a factor and that kind of thing? Like, how would you prepare your team, and what was it, what was it like to go play at, at, at the University of Montana or Montana State for you? Well, I think number one, I think all the coaches and players, players most importantly look forward to going to the environments that they have. And I and I can honestly say from you know, the early 90s until I finished, uh, I love the opportunity to go to Bozeman and to Missoula. Uh, the fans get it. I mean, I truly, I, uh, the relationship I actually had with some of the fans in, in Missoula was kind of funny just from the standpoint of being there so often. I think I played there nine or ten times. Okay. And uh, it was, uh, you know, some of the things that they did, uh, even, you know, my, in our, I think it was our second, first season we went there, we didn't get a first down until the third quarter. And we were playing with 18 scholarships and we were overmatched and Brian Ayat and had it going there and Don Reed, they were, they were, was an awesome football team. And then the very next time we went there, we should have beat them and they beat us on the very last play of the game, I think in 1994 or five, I mean, 95, six, right in that area. And they scored a touchdown with like two seconds to go to beat us. Uh, and we had, we, we our flight was going to be a little bit later getting out, so we we stopped and we ate dinner in uh, at a steakhouse in Missoula, and we walked in as a football team. The whole place stood up and said, "Wow, you guys are getting there!" And they really you know gave a great compliment to our football team, which is a great fan. 
I mean, their team won. I got it. Uh, but they, they didn't throw it in our face, and they, they kind of said, man, you guys have come a long way in just a couple of years, and you guys are now ready to compete in the big sky, which I thought was kind of a cool experience. And, you know, stay at a hotel and, and go running in the morning of the game at the games at 12 noon or 1 o'clock and go for a 7 o'clock run in the morning, and a fan will honk the horn and say, hey, Coach Walsh, good luck, but you're going to get your you-know-what kick. <laughs> you know, I mean, those things are funny. I mean, those days that – you know, those I love that that feeling that they knew their opponents, they cared about their opponents, but they loved their Grizz. And I think the same thing grew in in in, in Bozeman, and I think Bozeman's got got it going there pretty good too right now. And they're both great places. I think they're a little bit different, which I think is good for their rivalry, uh, um, as far as not only football programs but as cities. Uh, so I, I just think it's a cool place to go to, and I truly enjoyed my visits to Bozeman and to Missoula, and I know our football team looked forward to it. We didn't do anything different. We really didn't. You know, if you emphasize, I've always felt like if you emphasize where you're going and what you're going to face and all that, that's what your players start thinking about instead of just go play. I mean, everybody said you you go to Flagstaff and it's up 400 feet. You know, are you going to do anything different? No, I'm not. You know, we're going to go play football. And I think that that's, you know, the, the the attitude that I had and hopefully our team had as far as went in there. They, I knew they would be excited to walk into that environment, so didn't have to say too much about it. You know, you walk in there and you see the tailgating, you see all the, the fans and the Grizz stuff in the city. I mean, that's college football. And I don't think people give those two cities across the country, uh, you know, enough credit for how big football is in Montana. I mean, they talk about the bison in North Dakota, North Dakota State. Well, you, you know, Montana has two programs that thrive like that and uh, two cities that thrive and really love who they are. So I, I really hope that at some point in time, those two cities get a lot more respect, not only for the good football that they play, but for the football uh, cities and the football state that Montana is. Well, Coach, we certainly appreciate your time. We wish you the absolute best at you know, Santa Margarita this year and, uh, and going forward, and, and we appreciate you again being with us today. You've been with us before. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, I always love talking to you guys, and you guys do a great job promoting the Big Sky, so keep up the good work. And, you know, we've always talked about the uh, Big Sky stops in, in Montana, so it probably will in one of those two cities again. But uh, it's always a great conference right down to the end, so thank you guys very much. You bet. Thank you, Coach. Tim Walsh, boys and girls, joining us, uh, talking well about all kinds of things. Cal Poly football, Big Sky Conference, and obviously uh, Montana and Montana State as well. It was great. Appreciate his time uh, very much. Take a quick break on the other side. Trisha Binford coming off well, the best year of her career as the head coach of uh, the Montana State Bobcat women's team, but loses two assistant coaches in this offseason what will that do for montana state this next coming year we'll talk about that in just a moment hey the silver slipper is your beer wine and liquor stock up headquarters okay you know that you need to get everything to handle everything that's going on right now you can get it at the silver slipper but guess what they are also now open for business for sit-in okay you can go in 11 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. The bar is open. The casino starts at 9 a.m., 9 a.m. to 11.30. They have half capacity, and they have plexiglass dividers between keto machines. You can go sit in inside. You can sit outside on the uh, on the patio as well. Obviously, you can order Tarantino's Pizza to go. You can get uh, alcohol, drinks to go to take home with you and everything like that. They, they But you can sit in, and for once, you know, go out and maybe have a 
have a have a meal in an establishment. The Silver Slipper, the perfect place for it. Over on the south end of town, not a ton of places to go. Right across the street from Super Walmart on Brooks, right next to the uh, Country Club as well. A great spot for you. They also are going to have extra sanitation stations as well as a dif- disinfecting schedule. And they have removed stools around the bar to ensure the six feet of separation, the social distancing that we all need to uh, ensure everybody's safety as best we can. They continue to have, of course, the friendliest staff in town at the Silver Slipper, even in the midst of a global crisis. Get over there. It's all about tasty food, great beverages, and their urge to have a good time. So whether you're looking for that affordable family meal or a late-night game of poker, the Silver Slipper has what you're looking for. Visit online, silverslipperlounge.com for more info. Get in to see why it is one of Montana's best-kept secrets, the Silver Slipper across the street from Super Walmart on Brooks. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Back to Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Again, our thanks to Tim Walsh for joining us. Fun to talk to Coach Walsh and get his perspective. I mean, he did retire, but not retired, as it were. Right. Uh, retired from college. He's, I mean, Tim Walsh is the type of guy that I don't think that he's going to actually ever be able to not at least, like, volunteer assistant coach something. Totally. Yeah. Santa Marguerite, is that where Jamara Coe? played basketball is that his high school there's so many santas in santa margarita uh, there there are there are uh that's a good point santa claus my favorite you get it dad jokes tutel nuanas happy to be with you uh at gus tutel if you want more fire like what i just spewed on twitter at 1029 espn and at skyline sports mt as well uh coulter uh quickly here i know we're kind of up against it we went went long with coach walsh but uh Coach Trisha Binford, the head coach of the Montana State women's uh, uh, program, just coming off an exemplary year, the, mo- the, the, the best year in the history of the conference uh, in terms of wins, 19-1 and one in the uh, conference schedule. Uh, they were in the championship game against Idaho and, and just such an unbelievable class and very disappointing for everybody, of course, again, but it's particularly maybe for the Lady Cats the way that ended. But uh, with success can sometimes come departure. And in this case, two assistant coaches have left Montana State for a couple of different coaching opportunities elsewhere. Yeah, Julian Asibi, who's been on Trisha Bedford's staff, Julian's favorite, uh, he always says his favorite answer to any trivia question is the answer to the question, who replaced John Stockton at Montana State, is Julian Asibi. <laughs> So he's been there since John Stockton did his uh, one-year cameo. The next person I find who doesn't like Julian, dare I say adore Julian, will be the first. I oh, mean, no, Julian's the nicest guy ever, man. Anybody, universally loved. I mean, yes. he's impossible to miss the games because he's always wearing the funniest, most bright-colored suits. Bow jumping, jumping up and down on oh, the yeah. sidelines, coaching as hard as he possibly can. But Julian's heading to Florida, which is great. He's got Power 5 experience because he came to Montana State from Colorado. And so congratulations to him. 
Maybe we'll have to just reach out to him just to get him on the show just because he's a he's on? a great guy to talk to. Oh, he's yeah. the type of guy that literally at games, he goes, if he if he's not coaching, if like at the Big Sky Tournament, he'll just come sit next to you and just be like, what's up? Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> Tell me what you guys think. <laughs> right. And he just always wants to talk hoops with everybody. Great dude. Loved uh, getting to know Julian. He's an awesome guy, and he was a great asset to their program. Where, but where in Florida is he going? He's going to the University of Florida. Yeah. So he's going to coach for the Gators. So that's uh, that's big time, SEC basketball. Absolutely. Uh, and then Katie Mobley, who's formerly Katie Burroughs, uh, she's stepping away as well. She actually just uh, had a baby, a brand new baby, I think less than six months ago. Uh, and her husband, Justin Mobley, who's a good player for Montana State, um, old Mike Kramer days, uh, 15 years ago or so, mm-hmm. um, they were in school together. Katie Mobley was a great, Katie Burroughs at the time was a great player for the Bobcats, a Hall of Fame player, one of the all time leading scorers and rebounders in program history, led him to a Big Sky championship. And then uh, she was coaching high school for a long time, came back to coach at her alma mater under Trisha Binford, but now taking a teaching position at Bozeman High School. And I imagine once it's not an infant child, she will get back into coaching yeah, as well. because she one, has One move of opportunity, which comes with success, and then maybe a, a move of necessity is, uh, comes with uh, life-changing situations and scenarios. Totally. So it'll be interesting because you know the thing is that Binford's had a lot of movement on her staff over the last five years, and she's uh, – She's got it honed in pretty darn good. They've had great staff chemistry as of late, and so we'll see because these are these are big losses from recruiting and player development yeah. standpoints. So uh, some big hires coming up. But Sonny Smallwood, who's uh, been on our staff for a couple of years, uh, formerly the associate head coach at Arizona for a long time, she's still there as well, and uh, you have to trust that Benford. She's got that program humming along pretty darn good. That would be a coveted job because it's a – it's a great it's a great gig right now. I mean, women's basketball is hot in Bozeman, Montana. Well, the foresight to get rid of John Stockton just to have the good chemistry back on your bench, I think, was <laughs> the right choice uh, by her. I will say, it, it, she she no. I mean, again, a, a absolute not just a high watermark. I mean, this is one of the all time great teams in, in Big Sky Conference history in women's basketball. Uh, uh, it is rare in this day and age, you know, even in in women's sports where the transferring is is less you know, prominent than it is on the men's side and all that, that you graduate like six seniors or whatever it is off yeah, the team. Five, five seniors. And, and obviously, you know, they have some unbelievable re- returning talent to this team. But we, we talk about two coaches, five players. That's that's a huge percentage of what comprises a basketball team, you know, in total. And so that's a lot of filling in you know or, or, or replacement and, and and kids stepping up and and so uh there's talent there to do it no question but this will be uh this will be another interest it'll be a lot like to me what what travis DeCure experienced this past season it went well for the grizzlies and uh and we'll see how it goes for montana state but there you go a uh, quick update for you on what's been going on uh over there with the uh with the women's basketball team at montana state quick break on the other side what is going on in major league baseball the first uh, conversation slash negotiation today between the players union and the owners slash major league baseball specifically rob manfred about how to if it's possible restart the season all the considerations that are to be made a million logistical things to try and bring to bear and yes a little thing called money so we will get into all that on the other side of the top of the hour right after this hey the silver slipper they are open again for sit down service they've made some changes to comply with mchd standards and to help everyone be safe and healthy new hours 9 a.m to 11 30 p.m for the casino and 11 a.m to 11 30 p.m for the bar 
they are open also for half at half capacity for seating to uh, eat in to dine in plexiglass dividers between keto machines as well they also have spaced out tables to allow plenty of room between groups extra sanitation stations and disinfecting schedules and they have removed bar stools uh, to uh, create plenty of space inside of Tarantino's Pizzeria uh, and uh, and the bar area to be able to enjoy yourselves at a distance inside uh, the Silver Slipper. They still have the friendliest staff in town and they're still about great food, tasty beverages, and having a good time, affordable family meals, late night game of poker, anything you need. It's at the Silver Slipper. Visit online, silverslipperlounge.com, and stop by today to see why the Silver Slipper is one of Montana's best kept secrets across the street from Super Walmart on Brooks. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes. And they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org. Or, of course, you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold. Or visit online anytime, anywhere, MSU Bookstore. .org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus. <laughs> 